When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, you guys? For this episode, we're going to discuss why following the science is dumb as a public policy mantra and as a guide to our decision-making on so many different things that we do in our life, including whether to wear a mask or not. And yes, this does relate to COVID. And no, I haven't become one of those people. No, in fact, I'm not even going to resolve the question of whether to wear a mask or not and its scientific validity. And I'm not going to get you into the peer-reviewed studies on that. I'm going to go at a higher level of generality. The question of following the science as public policy mantra, why that is a dumb idea, and why that kind of reveals your own kind of ignorance if you state that. I think you're making a basic heuristic mistake if you're saying, Follow the science, follow the experts, and we'll explain why that is dumb, why you shouldn't do that, and most importantly, why that will not lead to chaos, because then you're like, well, if we don't believe in science, what are we going to believe in? Are we going to believe in mysticism? I'm scared. No, we're not. It's actually going to result in a more structured, reliable, dependable method of inquiry that's going to allow you to trust the public policy decision makers. And so we're going to make sure by the end of this episode that a mask will not become your blindfold and that to quote the great rebel in Total Recall, Huato, you will open your mind, you will open your mind to the truth and the truth will set you free. And so on this journey, we're going to cover three great thinkers, one local, one ancient, and one relatively recent. I got man crushes on all of these guys. The first is Danny Schechtman. We're going to cover a little Danny. Uh, he was an Iowa State Nobel laureate. We're going to cover Thomas Kuhn and his book, Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And we're also going to cover the great philosopher of science, Karl Popper. And we're going to basically explain why following the science is dumb as mantra. And Danny, this is kind of like that time in Annie Hall. I think Danny is still alive. So you know how um, Woody Allen was standing in line at a movie theater talking about Marshall McLuhan and Marshall McLuhan, about what Marshall McLuhan believed or didn't believe, and Marshall McLuhan was actually waiting in line, and he was like, no, that's not what I meant. Um, so Danny, if you're out there listening, um, I'm going to use your work, and I'm going to tell you what you meant by, by what you said when you won the Nobel Prize, um, because, you know, I think it's quite clear what you meant as far as that goes. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe I'll stand in line someday and Danny's going to be like, holy shit, your take on me was totally wrong. In fact, I love follow the science, but okay. So let's get started and talk about why following the science 
as a method of inquiry is kind of dumb. And it's kind of it's kind of naive and it's kind of not a great way of thinking and it's going to lead to some extremely bad public policy outcomes. And more importantly, I think it potentially could lead to some bad choices in your own life. So let's get started. First of all, what even when we when we say follow the science, what do we even mean by that? A lot of times people have tried to classify what science actually is. Um, but I would say, and this is just Cole's definition. Cole's definition, I'm just pulling this out of my ass, but, but this is how I define it. Science is something in which we are empirically connecting to the truth to such a degree that we can make astonishingly accurate predictions. That's the Cole definition. So when Einstein predicted the curvature of light and how it'd be affected by the mass of the sun, he made a very tight prediction mathematically as to what the outcome would be. And if it proved out not to be true, he could either be confirmed, in which case at least he had gotten that far, or if false, that would have refuted his theory or led to some mistake in what his view was. And that was not actually proven until Einstein empirically verified his particular test when the solar eclipse occurred in, um, I believe it was like 1919 or something like that. And they were actually able to test what his prediction would in terms of the theory of relativity. So I'm not gonna get into that, that's super complicated. But that's what, so, so he made that prediction based upon his perception of science. And then that was then tightly fit within that. Of course, in the concept of science, most scientific predictions don't have that astonishingly accurate level of reliability. So Thomas Kuhn, so we'll get into our first thinker here before we get into Danny. Uh, he wrote a book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And he, he defined science in the following way. It's accurate. It's consistent. It has a broad scope. It's simple. And it's fruitful. A lot of people have defined it that way, but here's, here's the key point to consider when you're reading that particular work. And th this is why following the science is dumb as mantra. The question is, is how does science actually work in practice by the people that actually do it? Well, they make a prediction, they test it. They then do a double blind study. In, in most cases, which is they have a placebo and then they have the, the agent that they're saying causes Y, X causes Y. Then they have a placebo where they don't actually have X, it's fake X. And then they compare the two results and see if the control group had a different outcome than the other group. So that's how it does, it had the placebo that was basically just sugar. And then the gold standard is, is another group then repeats that test and then confirms under the same conditions, the result that was obtained by the first group. So this, this process is repeated over and over and over again until the empirical results allow them to construct a fairly accurate model in terms of understanding what they're dealing with here. So they construct a model and they publish a textbook and then everyone's very happy. They're like, oh, we have science. We can teach it to our kids. And we can be very happy that we understand science. 
And that's where following the science to some degree does make sense. When you have a well-established that stood the test of time. So for example, for the theory of relativity, sure, let's follow that. Let's continue to question it. Someone at some point is going to question it, but it has, it has basically passed nearly every attempt to falsify it that it has um, been subjected to. Nearly every attempt. The theory of relativity so far has have proved to be amazingly accurate, number one. And two, it has allowed us to make astonishingly accurate predictions. So why wouldn't I say, well, then follow the science, okay? Uh, well, of course, there are certain bodies that are highly accurate, but then Thomas Kuhn, and here's really the, the key point that he really makes, and then we're going to connect it to Danny Schechner. I'd like to meet Danny. Danny, maybe you could reach out to me sometime. You know, we're, we're fellow islands. You know, can we, can we like, like have, a, have a beer or something? I'll, I'll take you out to T-Box and we'll go have a beer and discuss your Nobel laureate. But so how do, how do, how do people win the Nobel? Um, some... some do it within the field. That is, they search for within the model of their field, whether it's physics or chemistry, they search for an answer and then they, find, they, they, they discover it and they have an aha moment and it confirms what the science predicted, but it hadn't been verified yet. So they empirically verify something the theory had predicted, but that they hadn't been able to. So the Higgs boson particle, for example, in particle physics. That was something that had been predicted for a long time. People called it the God particle, but it took a long time to empirically verify it, okay? Um, Einstein's gravitational waves. He predicted that there could be certain disturbances in the, in the force, as it were, um, that would result in these gravity waves going through the fabric of space-time. And that was only recently confirmed in the last couple of years. And the federal government spent hundreds of millions of dollars to verify that. Well, whoever verified that, I think it's like a, a collapse of a black hole or an explosion of a star would cause such, not the collapse of a black hole, but a huge explosion in space could call these ripples. Einstein had predicted it. It was only verified within the last couple of years a federal government spent hundreds of millions of dollars to be able to verify that. The people that discovered that, once it was confirmed and verified, are going to get a Nobel Prize. Take it to the bank. They're going to get a Nobel Prize. So they're confirming what the theory had predicted. But there's another type of um, Nobel laureate, and these are the ones that I like. These are the rebels, the misfits, the people that challenge conventional wisdom. And here is ultimately the key insight of Thomas Kuhn's book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, the process of how a revolution actually occurs. How does it occur? And we're talking about a revolution, not an evolution, not a confirmation, but a revolution. And a revolution occurs when someone who is a seeming crackpot or ignorant or a crazy person makes a claim based upon what they thought, like as in the case of Einstein, he was not an empirical researcher, or by what, by what they've observed that does not conform to what the model had predicted. 
So in the case of Einstein, this was a theoretical thought experiment in which him trying to divine the nature of time and space, he could not resolve it in his own head based upon um, what he understood space-time to be. He thought that time itself may be subject to the fabric of space and there's some kind of connection between mass, gravity, and light, way beyond my pay grade to understand it. But what I can tell you is, is that it upset the apple cart of Newtonian physics. And he then was not able to then confirm that until at least, I think about 15 years later after he came up with it in 1905. I believe it was like 1920, 1919, where that was actually confirmed. So that's one type of revolution where it, comes, it arises in the theory and then later verified. Sometimes, in that, as in the case of Einstein, I think the response was, this is such a beautifully elegant and mathematical theory that I, you know, that I think this is something to really look at, right? Because some of the great thinkers had said, yeah, you know, I think this might, he might be onto something. This, this violinist, this sort of rebel, this sort of crazy person, uh, you know, from Switzerland who was a patent clerk of all things, who did not have the credentials, was making this astonishing claim. But the other kind, and this is where I have a really soft spot for these people, <clears throat> these are people crying out in the wilderness where they observe something that does not fit within what the existing model is. Now, these are the people that are considered crackpots and that they are um, ignored by their peers. They don't conform to peer review. They are outside of their peers. The peers, as the guardians of their knowledge and of their base, say that they don't make any sense at all. And here we're going to use the curious case of Danny Schechtman. Well, who the, who the hell is Danny Schechtman? Well, he is a Nobel laureate in, in chemistry from Iowa State University. And he won his work in 2011 for the nature of crystalline structures which the Nobel Prize explained in 2011 that at the atomic level, all solid matter is made of crystals. Atoms are organized in an ordered pattern. Schechtman discovered that crystalline structures in 1982 are mathematically regular, but they do not repeat themselves, called quasi-crystals, according to the information that was given in the press release to the Nobel Prize. And that made this prediction of quasi-crystals different than every other crystal studied in the 70 years of preceding research and completely changed the ways of thought about matter and atomic arrangement. So think about that. There had been 70 years of scientific inquiry and Schechtman comes along from Iowa State University and basically says, yeah, no, that, that's not necessarily true. There's these quasi-crystals. Now you're like, well, I don't give a shit about quasi-crystals. Yeah, I neither really do I. Who the hell cares? It sounds very interesting. But I think a quote that he gave at the time resonated with me so much that in preparing for this, I remembered it. And, you know, I don't remember where my keys are sometimes, but I remember quotes from 2011. That's another thing. I got issues. Who the hell knows why? But I remember the quote that he did when he won that and he was featured in the local papers. He basically said, you know, I was ridiculed for so long for making these claims 
And everyone was explaining to me why I was an idiot, why I was wrong. And that was, that was basically the nature of his public comment after he won the Nobel Prize. And can you imagine Danny when he won the Nobel Prize? And, and, and so what, what happened? He made this amazing claim in 1982, and he discovered these structures, and then he made a claim about it. He said, I don't think you guys are right. I don't, I don't think you guys fully understand the model, because here's this outlier here that does not conform to your particular model. And everyone's like, oh, you're, you're an idiot. I was like, you know, has the, the bourbon. And the, 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 I, I think you're completely wrong. Maybe not even get tenure. I'm, I'm not going to even listen. So, so some asshole in charge lectured him. And think about why that happened. And this happens with the mass debate, which I'm not, by the way, I'm not going to resolve it one way or another. I'm just asking that your mask not become your blindfold. Open your mind open your mind and question everything and keep an open mind. Or as Bruce Lee would say, an empty cup. Don't close your eyes to what you observe and what you see. Think for yourself. So what happened? Danny stuck, stuck it to his ground. He said, this is what I, so I'm sure Danny is kind of a little bit of a badass. Danny's like, all right, you know, he's from Israel. I, I don't know whether he's like my friend, Ori Hoffman. Ori's not a friend of mine, but I got another man crush on Ori. So I'd like to meet Danny. Maybe he was like an Israeli special forces or something. Most people in Israel get some military training. I have no idea. But he made this claim and he's like, no, I'm sticking with it. You know, it's equivalent to being a, in a bar fight in Calmer. Some guy says, you know, you come up and you say, I'm the toughest guy in the, in the room. And the guy says, all right, let's fight. So, and you know, you get on the bar and you fight him, right? You, you stick to your guns. You're going to make that claim. And that's what he did. So what happened? He stuck to his guns. And rather than attack his opponents, he recruited other people. And other people over time said, Danny might be on something. Danny might just be right. And other researchers then set up experiments to look at whether Danny was true or false. And the strongest way of, of proving whether something is true is, and giving you more confidence, is trying to prove that it's false. So if you make a claim, this is where we get to the work of Karl Popper. One claim that refutes the dominant premise of the scientific community, if that's refuted, at least that establishes not that. This is the black swan issue that Asim Taleb had brought up. That if you, if you use one example where the, um, you, you, you show that there is a swan that is not white, you then have refuted the claim that all black swans are white. If you find a black one, you know at least that that's not true. There's, there are at least some swans that are black. Well, Danny did the same thing. And that's where we get into the work of Karl Popper. The strongest way to establish and to, and to defend your stuff is to encourage people is to say, all right, mofos, you say that I'm wrong. You say that I'm BS, prove me false. I am making a claim that has, that should be proven false. You should welcome that. My training is as a lawyer and we are trained in the Socratic method, which basically means that we celebrate our own ignorance and we question everything. 
Now, this can be extremely disconcerting. It's taken me basically, I'm not a very smart guy. Like in law school, I hated this approach because I was like, I just want to know what the law is. You know, I ended up, I'm not totally dumb. I graduated in the top third of my class, but, you know, I wasn't like super smart. But I did not like this way of educating because I was like, hey, tell me the answer. I just want to know what the law is. As opposed to, no, it's all about assuming your own ignorance, investigating the truth, and questioning everything. And it's taken me until my 40s to, um, to figure that out. So, Professor Allen, you know, I'm, so, I'm sorry that it's taken me this long to figure it out, but Dean Hines, I don't know where you are. You're probably on a boat somewhere smoking a cigar. Well, some of your slower students, it took me 20 years to really recognize the wisdom of this, which is to question everything. You know, Plato said that disciplined practice of questioning ena enables the scholar to examine ideas and to be able to determine the answer of the validity of those idea. Continue to question. And that's what Danny did. He continued to question. He continued to um, persuade others why he was right. I'm sure he probably said, prove to me that I'm false. And so over the course of years, people were like, you know what? So Danny could have been like, oh, he could have like puckered up his butt cheeks and been like, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm getting, you're right, professor. I am, I'm wrong and I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to pursue this. Or he could have stuck by his guns. And that's what Danny did. And he tried to persuade other people that he was right. And they're like, he's onto something. So by the time we get to 2011, the mofo wins the Nobel Prize. So, and, and one of his first quotes that he made, and this is from a September 29th, a 2021 article, which is probably the 10th anniversary, because Iowa State, like it's a good university, but you know, they don't win a lot of Nobel Prizes there. I mean, they, they're, they're a top school. I mean, Iowa, of course. But, you know, so this article is from 2021. Um, but in 2011, when he won the award, listen to the quote that Danny made. He said, for a long time, it was me against the world, Sheckman said in 2011 about his discovery. I was the subject of ridicule and lectures about the basics of crystallography. So can you imagine that? Here he is winning the Nobel Prize. And when he came up with the ideas, he was ridiculed and lectured by his senior professors. Uh, and can you imagine what Danny did that night? I'm sure Danny, I have no idea what a Danny, probably not a drinker. He probably got up every morning at like 4.30. But I bet you on that night, he freaking lit up a cigar. Probably had a glass of whiskey. And he was probably like, all right, mofos, who's right now? And I don't know, maybe Danny could come on and if any of his colleagues were still in alive when he won the Nobel Prize, I bet he was kind of like, listen here, mofos, who was right, who was wrong? And he questioned the science. He didn't follow the science, he questioned the science. So Danny, here's to, here's to the Danny Sheckmans of the world. Those that question everything, the rebels, the misfits, and I, I, I remembered that in 2011 when I read that. And that just somehow popped into my head 11 years later um, while I'm preparing for this. Because I think it's a response. And by the way, 
no one, there are going to be people that are going to win the Nobel Prize with COVID, maybe the people that came up with the, the vaccine. Um, but, the, but, the, but in terms of the mass debate, here's the deal with that. And again, I'm not going to put my thumb on the scales one way or another. Um, but no one's going to win a Nobel Prize with that because there's just too many variables that affect the validity of a prediction. The results obviously have not been dramatic enough. So when people say, follow the science, that's just not settled. The, the differences have not been dramatic enough to warrant putting a mask on your mouth, at least in the public setting. No, I'm not talking about the surgeon who has an N95 mask that's properly fitted and otherwise completely scrubbed. I'm talking about a public policy where you got you know, kids and high school people picking their nose and putting their hands down their pants and, you know, having bro nose and all this stuff. It's ridiculous. And in my previous residence in Iowa City, they're still wearing masks. And I, I think at this point, it is absolutely insane by people that claim that they're really smart, that they know what they're doing. And if, and if they're so right, well, then do an experiment. Do, do, do basically a side-by-side -side of a similarly situated uh, uh, high school that does not have the mask policy. What are the differences in COVID rates? And if there's no difference, then what the hell are you doing? You, you are basically engaging in putting on the blindfold and not protecting anyone by putting on the mask. So that's the conclusion here. Don't, don't follow the science, question the science. Embrace Karl Popper. Keep an open mind. You know, one of my greatest philosophers, the great Bruce Lee, talks about the empty cup. Keep an open cup. And by the way, I'm keeping an open mind on this. So if you can show me, if there's one high school where they don't have masks and no one dies, you know, everyone dies, and there's another high school where they do have masks and no one dies or no one has the, the hospitalizations, if there's huge differences, then fine. And, and that's repeated. Of course, you can't do experiments on people, then I'll, then I'll withdraw this. But I don't see that happening. And instead, we have people that put on their blindfolds. And why do they do that? We're social creatures. I, you know, one of the reasons why I remembered that statement from Danny Sheckman is I'm kind of a rebel. I, I don't like listening to other people that I think that are wrong. I'm social. I, I do enjoy that. But I think we need to embrace proving something not to be true. But more importantly, we need to embrace welcoming that inquiry. Prove me false and be okay with that and zen with that. It's okay to be proven wrong. And I think so many of these libs are like, follow the science. The other thing that you'll get is that you'll get um, someone saying, oh, well, I'm not a doctor. They trained all these years. And, oh, they're so smart. And, you know, I, I, went, I got a sociology degree. And, you know, yeah, it, yeah. Well, here's the deal on that. Okay, so it's not that people, like, I'm not that smart. I'm not that smart. Maybe I'm just trying to, like, defend people that really aren't that smart. I don't know. But here's the other interesting thing with common sense. And here I'll go to a book I wrote, The Darkest Hour by Winston Churchill. And, and basically the penultimate vignette before the famous speech. We will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them in the barn. We will fight them at the pub while we have a beer or something like that. But, but the movie has a vignette beforehand where he gets his foreign policy advice 
not from the Oxford grads, <clears throat> but basically from schoolgirls, school marms, and um, everyday people that had the wisdom to basically know, you know what? No, we're not going to give, and I'm going to freaking fight. And all the Oxford education people were like, yeah, give in to Hitler, because they were a bunch of wimps. And I researched that vignette, and I do not think it was accurate. I don't think that there's proof of that. I think what the creators of the movie had said was, is that was the type of thing that he would do. He would show up to get the perspective of the common people. The other book I would commend you to is James Sarawecki's Wisdom of Crowds. There are a lot of cases where people from outside the field, and this is shown all over the place, totally refute the experts that don't have any training that bring a fresh perspective because sometimes your expertise blinds you to what's standing right in front of you. So I'm not saying there's no such thing as experts. I'm just saying that, that doesn't prevent the public, especially it applies to something as messy as mask science from questioning that and using their own common sense. You know, that it, it, you can't breathe, you can't inhale, you can't, and there's a lot of other things that we know to be much more effective than masks, like losing weight like building your vitamins, like getting your minerals, like getting sunshine, like getting exercise. Um, and I'm not even dealing with the vax versus on vax. I'm not even dealing with that topic. And by the way, I'm not resolving it one way or another. But I think at this point for people still to wear masks all over the place but, and then say, follow the science. Well, the science isn't settled. It's not even close to settled. And I think here's the other thing. There are certain levels of, of scientific inquiry in which it will never be settled. Why? Because there's too many damn variables. You can't isolate. There are some things where you say, if X, then Y. Okay. But as the COVID hospitalization rates and the COVID um, death rates, there are about 10 different variables, maybe more. And you have to tease out the one variable and you can't do it under laboratory settings. This is the problem of economics. This is why people argue about tax policy and these sorts of things. There's too many variables to isolate, and it's very difficult to do it in the context of the lab. And even within the lab, when you're trying to make predictions about reality, what's the problem with the lab? Well, it's does the lab prediction conform to what we see in reality? So even that can be, you know, if you actually have, have like, okay, let's okay, let's put two people in a dome, okay? One, let's get because we can't, there's no ethical issues, one where we have a mask wearing society in a dome. The other one where we have a non-match, let's see what happens. Well, yeah, the problem with that is you can't experiment. So the point is, it's not that we're never going to be able to have uh, an answer or that we're not going to, as my high school math teacher said, asymptotically approach the truth, right? I think we can. I think one of the reasons why people have taken off their masks is we have not seen enough of a difference. So for example, between Iowa and Illinois, Illinois pro mask, Iowa's not. Is Iowa a death zone? Is Illinois a utopia? No, the differences are not enough to warrant it. The answer is not clear enough. And given that fact, that does not warrant the significant levels of mask wearing. So um, here's to Socrates, here's to Bruce Lee, here's to Karl Popper, here's to Danny Sheckman. Danny, I hope I can ever meet you sometime. Here's to Iowa State University. I love Iowa State. I love the Hawkeyes. But, you know, some of you guys, I, University of Iowa, there's a lot of bullshit there that I think you, you could avoid if you would follow the science, right? I, I don't think you are following the science, right? So, you know, come on, get with the picture. And you scientists out there that have, you need to have some balls. Speak out. Don't be, you have tenure. Speak out and defend the science. 
like your badass colleague, Danny Schechter, right? So um, I hope you found this particular episode as enlightening as I did as putting it on. I'm not providing to give you the answer. I'm, I'm trying to give you the first question to ask on your journey to ultimate knowledge and understanding. So friends, question the science always and never stop asking questions. And read the work of Thomas Kuhn, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, Karl Popper, Nassim Taleb, Socrates, Plato, badass thinkers that are actually going to allow you to think clearly rather than this muddle, muddle, muddled, lamb-based herd logic that we see among especially, we see it under conservatives, but, but a lot of libs, it's just basically a bunch of lambs following the herd. Think for yourselves. God gave you a mind. Question everything. If you have made it this far, infinite gratitude to you. Um, friends, we're growing this Rocking Cast. We're putting out high-quality content. And so continue to reach out to me, rockneycast at gmail.com or rockneypool at gmail.com. Danny, if you're listening, reach out to me. Let's have that Woody Allen moment. I'm not, you know, so that'd be awesome. Like we're saying a line and Danny's like, no, actually, I have a mask. And I wear, I, I, I say, follow the science. You got me all wrong. Well, my apologies to you, Danny, but you were a rebel at one point. So Danny, I'm even going to question you. Yeah, this is what you meant, Danny. And uh, you should listen to me. Keep on giving me high quality reviews on Spotify, iTunes, all places where podcasts are heard. I guess it's called Apple Podcasts. I still call them iTunes for that, for Um, Continue to spread the word and share the message of what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is to create a spirit of free inquiry uh, in which we can explore ideas, we can have fun, we can learn, we can share, we can question the science, and we can learn together on all topics, including stoicism, liberal arts, mind, body, and spirit. And there's a cacophony of voices out there. And that, so I have infinite gratitude to you for spending the time that you have had. We're going to continue and spent with me. We're going to continue to put on this high quality content. Upcoming episodes are going to be on fasting. Um, I was recently on a podcast called Fasting with Diabetes, shared my own experience in reversing my type 2 diabetes. It's called Fasting with Diabetes. Um, and so just keep on, keep on keeping on people. I'm going to continue on putting on a podcast. I'm about ready to drive into town. I'm going to close up this particular episode um, and we're going to continue putting on high quality content. So until we meet again on the next episode of the Rocky cast.